Well, it is another Wake Up With KC. And today I have an interesting, uh, you know, topic and a conversation that I love talking about. When you experience something in life and then you find inspiration into like writing a book or it becomes a movie. And we see that from time to time. And I have a very special guest joining us today to talk about just that with himself, John Bukowski. John, thank you for joining us today. Well, it's my pleasure, Kimberly. Thanks for having me. It is truly a pleasure having you. Now, you know, from my understanding, you know, you've been in the medical field as a veterinarian, but what, you know, when did you realize like, oh, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life kind of thing? How did that go about? Well, I, uh, as you said, I uh, was in the biological track in college and went into veterinary school and practiced in Southern Michigan for about seven years. Uh, got a little bit of tired of practice. Once you do your 3,000 spay, it loses some of its uh, appeal. And uh, so I transitioned into uh, research, public health research, and I got a doctorate and a master's in that. And I did that for about 20 years. And I transitioned from that into medical writing. Throughout my career, I did a lot of writing, mostly technical. Uh, As I got into a contract medical writer, I started doing more and more work that was geared to the public rather than like journal articles. It was website content, radio scripts, uh, advertising copy for pharmaceuticals. And I did that into 2008, 2009, when the Great Recession hit. And some of my clients dried up, so I had more time. And I've always had a passion for reading fiction and nonfiction and always wanted to write a book, always felt that there was an author inside me trying to get out. And so at that point, I wrote a novel. It took a six, eight month period and wrote a novel. It's still in a drawer somewhere. It is not Project Suicide, which is my my current work. that's out my debut thriller. Um, But that got the bug going. And so gradually over time, I transitioned out of writing technical medical things to just working on fiction. Uh, I got my first, earlier this year, I got my first novel published. That's Project Suicide. And uh, the inspiration for it came. You talked about things happening. I had a what-if moment. Now, in writers, what-ifs are a really big deal. What-if? killer shark was terrorizing the resort community and the chief of police was afraid of the water. You've got jaws. What if you could actually get fossilized DNA and make a dinosaur? You've got Jurassic Park. My what if came after visiting my father-in-law. He passed away a few years ago. I used to visit him every week in the retirement home and he was suffering from a relatively mild form of dementia. But even so, it wasn't as bad as Alzheimer's, but even so, I saw this man who was a brilliant engineer. He worked on race car engines for Ford Motor Company back in the 60s. And I saw his mind start to go and wander and have difficulty with things like telling time. And it was sad, but it also got me thinking. 
Well, I knew they were working on a cure. So what if they found one? But it had a side effect that was pretty bad. What if when it blocked the gene for Alzheimer's disease, it also blocked an adjacent gene for self-preservation? So as your sense of self returned, so would a sense of self-loathing. And here's the big what if. What if you gave this drug to a person who didn't have Alzheimer's disease? They would become suicidal. And it would be the perfect assassination drug because they would kill themselves. And that was the, the uh, impetus, I guess, or the idea behind Project Suicide, which is basically a story of how a cure for Alzheimer's disease is perverted into an assassination drug. Now, high-profile politicians are killing themselves, and only a drunken genius can save them in the country. That's my log line, as they say in the industry. Wow. Uh, my my question to you is, why politics? You know, politicians. Well, it's, first of all, it's it's more of a technical thriller. What uh, if you've ever read Michael Crichton or Robin Cook? It's more along those lines. Politics is there is no identifiable party or identifiable person in it. Politics is simply what Alfred Hitchcock would call the MacGuffin. It's kind of the thing that keeps the story rolling, but it really doesn't matter what it is. In this case, it's politicians because there's nefarious things going on in the bureaucracy behind all this, which is what leads our hero, Deacon Creel, the drunken genius, to be seeking out the nefarious characters behind this, he pursues them Why they pursue him. Wow. So it's a political backdrop more than anything. So what led to this? I mean, was it like you went to sleep one night and this whole story came about or did it come about in bits and pieces? Well, typically that's not how the writer's mind works. You get, you can break us up into two groups, fiction writers. One are called plotters. They outline extensively. They come up with an idea and they take it through to its conclusion, or at least one conclusion, before they ever put any, any words on the page. And then they fill in that skeleton. And the other group, which I belong to, Stephen King belongs to, they're called seat of your pantsers. You get the idea and you start from an opening and you work along and you, you, you become surprised by things characters do and by plot turns and things occur to you as you go. Maybe you're working on it and your uh, my, my ideas often come when I'm walking on the treadmill or walking outside. Uh, I'm one of these power walkers who walks like four and a half miles an hour. And uh, things come to me. Yes, if this character did that, then the plot could go this way. And that may be as far as I take it then, and we'll see where it plays out. So that's more my process. Like I said, there's nothing wrong with either one, whether you're a plotter or a dancer, but uh, I happen to be the latter. 
Well, I mean, isn't it safe to say, I mean, you know, you, you know, coming from a film producing background and, you know, learning how to create the movie from a sure. script, you know, and then reading books because, you know, it has to appeal to me sure. to where I can't put the book down kind of book because right. um, I want to read it until the end. <laughs> That's the best um, but is it safe to say like you generally have two plots, two to three plots within, you know, in a book and then either there's a sad ending or a conclusion or a happy ending? Well, the, there's basically one plot, but there are twists and turns within that. There's sometimes dead ends. Maybe a character is a red herring or you think one thing, but it turns out to be another. Uh, something suddenly occurs which you weren't expecting and that's one of the thing, one of the ways that i think seat of your pants writers like myself uh have a little bit of an advantage because if it surprises you it's going to surprise the reader and so when, when a character does something i don't expect and i say wow that's great because now this and this can happen it's exciting for me, but I'm hopefully it's exciting for who's ever reading it because they say, wow, I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting that train of events or this person to be a villain or what have you. And so uh, that's that's the kind of uh, that's any good thriller, any good suspense uh, type of book. So uh, I think that's what Project Suicide is. Well, then I have a question. Like when you're, when someone is like got the idea, do they sort of like become that character to help them get the creative writing juices? Right. Well, I think, I think it's like acting and I've done some uh, acting in community and regional theater, both in New Jersey and the East Coast and uh, in Ohio where I lived before Eastern Tennessee. It comes through you. The characters are parts of yourself, people you know, uh, composites sometimes, sometimes real people um, that are fictionalized. And certainly characteristics of yourself and of other people that you know enter into them, just like in acting, you pull it through yourself, whatever character you're playing, if it's a villain or a hero, uh, there's something in you that's part of it. As Stephen King says, we all have a dark half, you know, there's that half that we show the world, who's very nice and proper and never says anything wrong, and then there's that other half, who's maybe uh, more of a liar or maybe lustful or maybe a little weird and the writer the fiction writer can let that guy out matter of fact he has to let that guy out because his writing will he's he's stilted if he tries to censor himself too much so to answer your question yeah some of yourself some of uh, people you know enter into it but never forget it's fiction i'm telling a lie and like a con man, I'm trying to tell a good lie so that you'll buy it. 
And that's where like the technical research comes in. You know, you do just enough to get the reader to say, wow, that's interesting. This guy knows what he's talking about. I'm going to believe the rest of it. And once they've done that, then they're hooked. Then they're hooked. They can reel them in just like a good kind. Well, see, and, and, you know, you bring up Stephen King and, you know, I've only saw a couple of movies, but to me it was, you know, like I'm all about energy, mm-hmm. you know, emotion, energy, emotion. So sure. what you project out is like a boomerang effect. It comes back and like, what are you creating to manifest? And then if you do that, then, you know, then how does that affect everybody collectively? You know, because you program through what you see and what you hear. Like your eyes are like a camera lens and it's bringing in whatever you're looking at. It's like recording into your like mind, your subconscious. And it's like, you know, I would feel like that's why I don't watch any horror movies or anything too violent and full of hatred and anger. Because that's just emotion that we're you're creating to feel. Well, it's, it's, you have to think of it's like any kind of movie, whether it's a horror movie or an action movie uh, or a horror book or an action book. It's a form of entertainment. It's a form of escapism. Uh, like I said, you basically, your, your movie analogy is good because basically what you're trying to do is create a movie in the person's head, the reader's head, which is the same as the movie that's going on in your head. As I write this, I hear the characters speak. I hear them speak in their voices with their uh, uh, emotions behind them. And I paint pictures of scenes so that hopefully the person who's reading it will see that as well. Maybe they won't see it exactly the same. Maybe the character will look slightly different or the scene will look slightly different. But it's basically they're following the movie in my head. So that's a very good analogy. Is uh, It's like a movie. And that was the beauty of old-time radio. You know, it was people's descriptions that were then translated through the imagination into uh, into the listener in that case. And it's the same with reading. Uh, it goes to the reader. Yeah, because when you're, when you're writing and, and you're like, it's actually you're telling a story through writing. You can be more descriptive to every detail of what you envision and imagine. Well, to a certain extent, you're, you're certainly being descriptive, but you don't, don't try to be descriptive or in, in the case of a techno thriller, technical to the point of turning people off. Like I could describe an office to the last detail and take three, four paragraphs to do that. You're probably going to get bored to that because you've been in an office. And you know in generally what an office looks like, or a bar, or a restaurant. So I may give you one or two interesting details. It's a mahogany desk, 
uh, instead of books on the shelf, there is women shake shots with famous politicians. And that may be enough to tell you this is a man of, of substance who knows people. So, yes, you give detail, but not to the point where you bore. It's like with acting. Be realistic, but never be boring. And that's what I try to do with writing. And uh, certainly with the techno thriller, you, you just want enough technical material to be that seasoning that hooks people. It's like a stew. A lot of it's water. Then there's meat and potatoes and vegetables that make the plot and the characters. And then there's the technical details that hook you up. And that's the spice that's just added at the end to taste. Wow. You can tell I haven't had dinner yet. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a good analogy to, you know, the, the recipe for success and, you know, writing a book. And, you know, I help, you know, the audience who has a an idea to write a book can get some, like, really good insight from this interview. And it's always been fascinating to me because it's funny because there's books and I discuss this with my partner because we'll watch a, a movie and whatnot. And he goes, oh, yeah, I read that book. And I'm like, oh, there was a book about this, you know? He goes, oh, yeah, the book is way more better than what you see in the movie. And I'm like, well, I understand why because you only have a certain amount of pages in the manuscript or the screenplay part you're limited to what you can you know put together and like copy and paste and put it in a, a in a form to where usually most movies are an hour an hour and a half maybe there's very rare movies that are two wow. hours Two hours. Top Gun Maverick was about two hours, and it was well worth it to me. <laughs> but and I try to explain it to them. I'm like, yeah, and then you know, trying to like copy and paste from the author's you know description of certain locations and places when you're in film producing, and you're the director and. You know, you have to scout a location that's similar to what the author was describing of where things take place. And it's time consuming. <laughs> that's why I give props to those that do that. Right. Well, the, I, I think you're right. Both uh, the written word and movies have limitations. In when you're writing, you have more space. Your novel can be 300 I think mine's 315 pages or something like that. It'd be 400, whatever. Um, but if you want somebody to see something, you have to describe it. Whereas in a movie, you're basically got dialogue and, and scenery and actions that are cut together. You can see it. You don't need, uh, there's a great thing in uh, a great old writing adage, show, don't tell. Well, in movies, you can show it without saying anything, oftentimes. You can cut to someone's look and learn about the character without any description or dialogue. Um, 
So yeah, that is a benefit of movies. But in the same thing, as you say with movies, you're limited in time. You know, you're if you get over two hours, people are going to start to yawn, maybe. So uh, you know, or you can have something like an epic that's three and a half hours. It better be pretty good because that's a long time to keep somebody's butt on the seat watching something. Oh yeah. <laughs> And that's why, in a way, I, I like, you know, some action, you know, drama kind of sure. thing, like Fast and Furious, all those series of Fast and Furious. Then you got, like, Star Wars. Right. And, um, you know, it's just, and then seeing, you know, Top Gun again, it was just, like, edge of your seat, kind of. Those are the kind of movies and books that I like to read. Sure. Well, that's and that's you're describing basically a thriller, something that has twists and turns and it accelerates. It the scenes move faster as you go, leading to an ultimate conclusion. You may not know what that important conclusion is, uh, even by the middle of the book, but you know it's coming. And people described it as a roller coaster with ups and downs, and twists and turns, screaming to the end. And that's that's a good thriller novel. But Maverick, I don't think um, Top Gun was based off a book. It was based off well, of. I don't think so, no. Excuse me. I don't think it was. No. No, it was actually about the 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 academy itself, and that's how Tom Cruise got inspired, or somebody got inspired. It was like, hey, let's make a movie about this. <laughs> So when, it was, it, it, you got to go see it. I'm just saying, just no, got to go see it. I, I plan it. But I'm another one who will, if I'm watching a movie and I enjoy it, I will look up on IMDb or maybe just look in the credits at the end and see who wrote it, who wrote the book that was behind it. A lot of times there's a book, not always, sometimes original screenplay, but a lot of times it's a book. And then I'll dig that up, you know, find a used one or find it in the library or something. And I'll read that. And as you say, sometimes the book is way better. And sometimes you say, boy, that movie was really good. The book was a little flat. You know, it all, it all depends on the situation. Yeah. Why? I mean, why is that? I said, wait a minute. You know, you're used to the. It's like one of the reasons that sequels don't do very well in movies, as a general rule is people have certain ideas about the original. And if you're like trying to capture lightning in a bottle again, you know, it's hard to do. Um, but. But couldn't it also be like when you're reading the book, you're already like imagining what it, the and the expectations of what it looked like if it wasn't a movie. But then when you go see the movie, you're like, wait, what? <laughs> I, I think you're right. Because like I said, we're, uh, as a writer, you're, you're, showing a movie in your head that you were that you want the reader to get the same movie and if you do it well then they've got this idea of what it should be like and that's it becomes a problem when it uh, potentially when it goes to uh, uh, a theatrical type of release because they have to try to either recreate the same thing or change it and if they change it to fit the constraints of the movie uh, people might say, wait a minute, you saw that with the first Jack Reacher movie that came out. I thought Tom Cruise did a wonderful job, 
but a lot of people hated it simply because he didn't look like the way they thought Jack Reacher was supposed to look. And, you know, that's uh, not what you can do about that. No. And I, that's why I try to stay open, like an open-minded person. And then I have the tendency, because, you know, being in you know, the background of film producing, I'm looking at now, uh, okay, that piece was not there a moment, like it was there a moment ago, but then it, it disappeared again because you have so many takes Hi. and you have to log in because if they have to do retake, they have to log everything of what angle they were in and whatnot. So I start catching this stuff. Right. And yeah. I'm like, oh, my God, now I'm addicted to this. The beer glass is, is three-quarters full. You put it down, they pick it up. It's completely full, or it's half full. Yeah, it's continuity. The uh, uh, They don't always get that right. Uh, I, I know there are continuity, continuity people who are in charge of that on the set. But uh, they make mistakes like anybody else. But it's fun. You watch a movie several times, you start to pick up those things, which uh, you didn't maybe notice the first time. So one yep. of the fun things about watching movies, sure. I had uh, okay. Larry Hankin on my show way back, and I loved Home Alone. For right. a Christmas holiday movie, Home Alone was it. Right. And there's a scene where he's the detective, and I guess the mom realizes that they forgot their right. son. And he's on the phone and she's screaming. You could hear her screaming in the background kind of thing. Right. And there's a piece of donut. He was eating a donut and it stuck to the bottom part of the mouthpiece. Right. And he just continued talking. He didn't even realize it was there. Right. So it's like a mess up, but they they just said it. Nope, we're leaving it as it is. It is perfect. Right. And Larry's like, no, that ma that's not good. But everyone was laughing, and they thought it was like, no, we're going to keep it. Well, the as they always say, the uh, I've done work on this on the, on the stage, and the stage is an actor's meeting. But movies and television are directors and editors' meeting. The actors are not quite window dressing but they are not the most important part. As Charlton Heston used to say, the movie exists within the mind of the director. And you as an actor shooting it, don't really know what it looks like. Mm -mm. An individual scene, you may say, I think we got it. I think I, I think I was okay. I think there's something that can be cut out of that. But as far as whether the movie is gonna be any good, only the director knows that. Oh yeah, because it's beauty is in the eyes of the beholder and i love photography and videography so i'm looking at like what can i capture beauty or the scene that i want to create and that it i feel like there's a lot of people that are gifted they're very successful because of that gift. It's like innated in them. It just clicks with them. And, you know, and the same with the authors, you know, certain authors that I resonate with is like, wow, like, how did you get inspired to 
create this story? Well, that's that's the thing. Like I said, a, a big idea generator for authors is the what if. But also, it's one of these uh, vocations slash avocations. You have to treat it as a business. You have to have the discipline to write every day, recognizing uh, a good week for Ernest Hemingway was 4,000 words. Now, if you're publishing, if you've got a 100,000-word novel, that's 25 weeks to get a first draft. And... It's a little bit of work every day. So you have to have that commitment, treat it like a job. But you can't really do that if you don't love doing it. So it's got to be like a really great hobby. So it's one of those things where we do what we love uh, and hope to be successful with it. Because it's like anything like bourbon making. Uh, it's, it's a long time before you know if it worked. You know, you've got six, eight months of writing the first draft. You let it sit, you do a, a revision, you give that to some people, beta readers, and say, tell me what you think. You get their ideas, you revise again. It sits for another few weeks while you're doing other stuff. You revise again. After about five, six revisions, then maybe it goes to an editor or somebody who's going to decide, how good is this? What can we do with it? What do we need to cut? What do we need to add? Um, so it's a long process with an uncertain ending, but it's a lot of fun. And as you say, if you've got a creative drive to do it, you got to do it or you don't feel right. At least that's true for me. Especially I, if you have this inner, like an inner desire yeah, of it, writing. If, and... I'm not, if I'm not writing or, or revising. Obviously, you've spent weeks revising as well. Uh, it doesn't feel right. I uh, I get nervous. So yeah, it's uh, it's 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 a drive. And would I mean this just came up to me, and I'm like, well, that makes perfect sense of connecting the dots to your purpose, and you wrote, you know in the medical industry writing and whatnot so it was like pieces to the puzzle of what you were going to be doing next which was the book right the that, exactly as i uh i you know, i went into to public health research but i as i look back on it i noticed that over time i was researching less and writing more the places i worked people would say we have this thing we got to get out you're our go-to person for writing so I'd be writing, I'd, I'd be editing other people's writing, uh, and I was doing that more and more, and I was liking it. And when I went to consumer work versus technical, I was liking it even more. And when I went to fiction, that was the creative genie that came out of the bottle. I hate to sound trite and say my muse woke up, but that's kind of what it was. And uh, it probably started when I was acting and uh, came to full blossom in uh, uh, writing, fiction writing. Wow. So you mentioned earlier about your book that just came out and anybody that's interested in, in a, the description and where to get access and 
and get a copy of it is in the the notes can you briefly show it to people so they can see the cover oh yeah project suicide um I don't want to say like spoiler alert what happens at the end but because I'm not going to tell you <laughs> <laughs> well I mean it seems like it would be a sad ending kind of thing or one of those and it furiates me when they do this it's it leaves you hanging well it won't leave you hanging. It will leave it open to a sequel, which I'm working on now. But like I said, it's a it's a thriller, so there's a lot of uh, action, twists and turns. But it's also a character study. They they're complicated characters. The hero, Deacon Creel, he's a man of logic. What he's been described as a scientific wunderkind. You know, he he graduated. Veterinary school at 21, he graduated uh, with his PhD at 25. You know, he was uh, one of these high-powered geniuses. But he doesn't deal with heavy emotions like guilt. He feels guilt about things in his life, about his involvement with Project Suicide. He feels inadequate sometimes. And his solution is to drink. So the man's basically a sometimes functional, sometimes not functional, alcoholic. And on the opposite side of the of the coin, we have his assistant, a Marine Corps medic by the name of uh, Amy Robbins, who is a, a compassionate person. Her family was military all the way, and so she went into Corps, but she went into the compassionate world of military medicine rather than fighting. And throughout the book, she is confronted with things that question her uh, her compassion, things that she has to do to get the job done that maybe go against her nature. And that's kind of the theme of the book. Every book has a theme, whether the author intends it or not. And the theme of this is that you have to balance logic with emotion. If you have too much of one and not enough of the other, like Deacon Creel, it may take you off to be a drunk, and vice versa, you may find yourself conflicted about what you need to do to accomplish the goal you need to do. So it's this balance, this yin and yang of emotion and logic that we all have to live with in our lives. Well, well, um, that that's impressive. But I'm like going, well, where's common sense? Where's integrity? If you're being having to compromise your own integrity and your own value, what you feel is right, then why be in that job in the first well, place? That's, that's the question we all have to face. And we're, we're faced with, for example, take a man in the military in war. He's doing horrendous things. He's shooting people, blowing them up. Um, and that may go against his nature, but he's trying to accomplish a mission. He's trying to live up to his duty. And many, many a man and woman has come back from war with residual problems from that. Yeah. So and I, in, in some respects, Deacon Creel, who has 
uh, been tangentially in the military through his work in, uh, in biological and radiological warfare in Iraq. He deals with those issues too. Well, you know what I think, honestly, and I just like something that I've, you know, because I study, like, I've been like fascinated with history over the years and become a history geek. And I go back to ancient civilization history, um, all the way back to the Sumerians. And I'm like, you know what? I, I honestly feel that we were not created to harm anybody or kill anyone. It became a program and it's been going on for generations after generations after generations and and look where we're at yeah that's uh, uh i i did a uh a blog posting not too long ago on my website www.thrillerjohnd.net that touched on that we think we're evolving but human nature keeps showing its ugly head. The Sumerians had wars. We have wars. The Russians invaded Ukraine. There's always human nature pops up with this desire for power, money, what have you, control. And there's always someone like that. And from the fiction writer's point of view, that's what it's all about. Drama is conflict. And human nature is conflict. The human history is conflict. You know, Romeo and Juliet or West Side Story, it's everybody can relate. And those are separated by 400 years. So, uh, so yeah, life, life is, is conflict to a certain extent. We try to minimize it, but... That's what fiction is. Whether it's, even if it's a set drama, there's conflict. It may be an internal conflict, or it may be uh, a man versus woman conflict in romance, but it's still conflict. Wow. And how long did it take you to, to write your book, Suicide Project? When I first got, from the time I got my what if moment until the first draft was probably six or eight months. Uh, but like I said, the process is much longer because there's all those revisions in there. And if you, if you talk about from first putting words on the page, first thousand words until publication, and you've got the publication process in there, it was probably two and a half to three years. Wow. And that's what people don't understand. They think someone, I knocked off this book, I sent it to my publisher, I'm, I'm, I'm working on the next book. It's years before those books get to publication from when you start them. That's why novelists are always working on the next thing. When someone says, my new book came out, don't think they started writing it six months ago. They started writing it a couple years, two, three years ago. And while they were processing that, waiting to revise, waiting for publication, they were writing other things, which will be coming out in this series. Like I said, it's like, I go back to this. It's like whiskey making. You're constantly putting stuff out there in barrels and letting it sit 
hoping it ages well, and then it goes off to be consumed by the public. So it's a little bit like that. It's a uh, it's a long, laborious process that uh, is tough. It's a lot of fun, but it's a lot of work. I'd say because all these other people is like, oh, I just you know launched and published this book. They really don't explain of. I started this and, you know, it finally got to this and now I'm releasing it. It's being published on this day. They don't really go into detail. I know of one author, um, Neil Donald Wash, who wrote The Conversations with God and there was four series, but he wrote them on a notepad first. And even in you know, when you're reading it, he's, he explains, oh, this is from April of, you know, whatever and year. So it was like, took him a couple of years. Then there was a pause. Then it was published. Then he started working on the next, you know, conversations with God, but there's like four, I think books four series to conversations with God. Like I said, usually well before it's published, they're working on the next one and maybe the one after that. Because during all these lapses, when you, and that's why it's important, another thing people don't understand, is between revisions, you don't revise it and just start revising it again, because you've just seen it. Your eyes are used to it, your brain has got locked in a certain way, and you're going to read over things without really reading them. You won't see them the way the reader sees them. And you need a few weeks at least in between revisions to clear your head. And then go back and you say, wow, I thought this was good before, but it's a little confusing. Uh, One of the things I do, and I know a lot of authors do this, is especially when you're into later revisions, revisions two and three and such, I read passages aloud. Because if you stumble trying to read it, you go, wait a minute, the reader's going to stumble. Let's go back and fix that. Maybe that should be two sentences. Maybe that should be shortened. Uh, maybe this one sentence isn't necessary at all and it just confuses them. And uh, so you always have to look at it with fresh eyes. And that's why some some early writers will say, I don't need an editor. Why do I need it? Yeah, you do. You need a professional who's going to look at it the way the reader will see it and know how to fix that. And uh, I take my hat off to professional editors. They, it's a whole other animal. They may not, you know, they may or may not be good writers, but it's a skill set that most writers don't really have, at least enough. You can only your own mind and eyes can only take it so far. You need that professional on the outside who's going to look at it fresh. Wow, because I know there is, um, well, uh, which one? I'm trying to figure out which author it was. I think it might have been, was it Twilight or was it Harry Potter? You know, you're, you're going to get some critics, you know, it's like, oh, the grimmer. And that was like, oh, like, no, she was trying to be realistic. Not so, you know, everything had to be proper kind, but more realistic in order to tell the story. It With editors, I don't know if it was an editor, you know, that was reading the book and had to make that kind of comment. But do you, do you 
how do I want to say this? Like, isn't there some that are just too over? Well, there's thinking. as editors, there's there's all all levels of expertise, and all levels. You hear people say, "I got my book edited for three hundred and fifty dollars." Well, I won't give you I won't give you much for your editor, because a professional is going to charge you a couple thousand dollars. You know, it's uh, it's there's all levels of skill, but also relationship between an author and an editor is kind of like between a patient and a physical therapist. It's a love-hate relationship. They make you they make you hurt a little bit. The editor may kill some of your darlings, as we call it. You know, passages that you thought were just brilliant and you don't want to lose them, but they're slowing down the flow of the chapter. And they're not really necessary, but they're so well worded. That you know, you've turned a great phrase, and that always makes you feel great. The editor comes in and says, "Get rid of them," and you say, "You son of a." But you you think about it, and you go, "You know, they're right." And so, like I said, it's like with a physical therapist. If it doesn't hurt a little bit, they're not doing their job. So, I just had a, a brain fart. What is the di difference? with books when they say unabridged well unabridged just simply means it's 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 complete the way it was published abridged editions someone has taken a published work and shortened it because they want to uh, readers digest used to be great for that condensed books they would take moby dick you know which is like five six hundred pages and they would make it a 300 page, you know, you you cut stuff out. It's like when they when they take uh, TV shows and put them in syndication. They add commercials, so they got to cut something out. It's a, it's really abridged in that respect. So yeah, that's different than what an editor does. An editor takes a work and trims the fat from, it, or at least helps you do it. Now you know you can go back to the editor and say, no, I really want this in here because it shows this about the character and they'll probably say yeah sure okay because i'm pointing they pointed out to you final decisions with the author typically but they point out areas where they think it could be improved and that's a great that's a great gift and it's a great uh, uh you know I, I like i said i love editors take my hat off them. i'm married to one. <laughs> Oh wow <laughs> professional med medical editor for the past uh, 40 years, 35 years. Aw. And then, you know, where does your the beginning of your book take place? Uh, it starts, we're introduced to Deacon Creel in a Columbus, Ohio night court where he is being uh, arraigned on drunken disorder. And, nice and, way to start out the book. <laughs> rescued from that by a a uh, persnickety bureaucrat from Homeland Security named Nelson Barzoon, who wants him back in nefarious Unit 13 he used to work in, a bio-warfare unit, because they got the problem with the new Project Suicide drug. And uh, so he is drawn back into a world which is one of is a world that really led him to drink because he is you know he has a duty 
because he was involved in the creation of this thing. And now he has a duty to help solve it, help uh, get a cure for it. Interesting. And then the, then the rest of the book basically takes place uh, where Unit 13 is and around that in Maryland. So it's Maryland and, and surrounding areas. Washington, wow. Does sound like a, a very interesting thriller here. I, I wish you the best of success in it. And I look forward to for it to become one of those movies too now. <laughs> if you know anybody who, who wants a good high concept idea for a movie, let me know. Um, I don't charge as much as like uh, Patterson or Stephen King for their for their work. So you get a bargain. Oh, but okay. If pe if people want to get it, it's on Amazon. You can find it in uh, through bookstores and stuff because it's on the big book distributor Ingram. But the easiest way to get it on Amazon is just to type in www.projectsuicidenovel.com. All one word. And the link is listed down below for those of you that love thrillers. And that'll take you right to the Amazon page. It's in Kindle, very reasonable in Kindle, pretty reasonable in paperback. Uh, I bought a hardback copy, but I don't expect a lot of people. Well, I like the hardbacks and the audios. The audios are really like, for some reason, because yeah. yeah. you can hear the tone, the frequency, the, you know, the emotion. You can hear it when well, you're that's reading that's it. I'm going to be doing a, so a reading at a book club in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, in uh, about a month, a little less than a month. And that's the thing about an author reading. You can do it dramatic reading you know you can add the inflection and stuff which the reader adds in their head but it's always fun to, to hear it especially when the author is reading it who's the person closest to the to the work really <laughs> well, going back to conversations with god i thought i was having conversations with god and i was like cancel i'm like yeah that's what i thought you know <laughs> like i'm reading it listening to it and i'm like oh my god i knew that <laughs> like i love reading those kind of books where i'm having the conversation with the author about the book right <laughs> those are the best you know because i listen to it in the car and i know now people are into like audio books because they're driving you know who, who i think everyone gets tired of like when you're going on long trips you know, the radio station just sort of fizzles out and then you got to tune into another right. one. Now they're into, I'll just listen to an audio book and, you know, and I'm having conversations. For long, for long trips, those are great. Yeah. yeah. I think my dad introduced me to that. I was like, you know what? That is a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Audio books are great, especially for card trips. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I'm driving and people look at me and I'm like, Oh my God. And they're like, what in the world is wrong with that woman? <laughs> That's like looking into a car where someone's singing with the radio. Yeah. <laughs> or they're dancing, you know, I've done that. <laughs> I can't help myself. We think we're in a little private world, but really a lot of times the world can see you. And you know what? I really don't care. I'm happy. I'm in my little bubble, you know. <laughs> hey. 
You'd be a good actress. Ah, thank you. <laughs> you have to commit, and you have to kind of be within within the within the moment, within the within the world of the stage. Yeah, and you have to become that character. You, it's good, like good, you you bring that the character comes through you. Yes. You know, through you, your experience, uh, your 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 good half or your dark half, depending. I played a, uh, if you know, Arsenic and Old Lace, the play. I was the crazy, crazy homicidal brother, twice. Wow. <laughs> I was Jonathan Brewster twice. So I've got that in me, too. Maybe that helps with thrillers, I don't know. I, like, if I wanted to be in a movie and play a role, that would be hard for me to, like, what would I want to play? What would I want to be? Well, that's not the actor's problem. Typically, the actor's problem is what will people let me be? <laughs> they do a lot of, get a lot of rejection. Parts they want, they don't get. Well... I guess I don't know. That's a like, yeah. It's mostly, you know, but then there's there's the directors and the and the producers, or who's the one key that's looking for that perfect character through, you know, actors and and whatnot. They're looking for a certain blonde, a certain height, a certain. It, it may have nothing to do with your ability. You never know. They say mm -hmm. thanks, and that's all you ever do. But that's the life of an actor. To a certain extent, with novelists, when you're pitching a book, you get a lot of that too. Uh, you know, I've I've probably submitted short stories to a uh, hundred venues, and I've got eight published. Doesn't mean any of them were necessarily bad, but it's not what they were looking for. Wow, because you know what? There, <laughs> there's some movies that they keep like like they've come back again you know especially like friday the 13th halloween i mean oh, yeah, predator I it's like can you just let these people die and just be, <laughs> like be it they don't have to be resurrected again hello well that's like that's what i said about sequels it's, it's very difficult to get a sequel that approaches the original Godfather Two is probably the best example of the exception that proves the rule. Uh, and for things like Lethal Weapon, where the sequels were, were were pretty good, but by and large, sequels can never live up to the pizzazz uh, of the original. No, it, it's just like it's like in a way, wouldn't you agree? It you just ruined the like it was the best at the first why keep on recreating something that well that's that's a nice thing with with novels uh oftentimes sequels do very well because if you if you do your job properly you create characters that people want to continue to know you know it's uh continue to be friends with continue to uh experience their lives you got characters people like they want to they want to stay with them and uh so many times i mean you have how many jack reacher books have been out you know it's uh it's a matter of uh, people like that character enough 
that they want to know more. I want to know more about him. I want to I want to experience more of his life. So uh, that's why I enjoyed like Twilight, mm -hmm. you know, and you know, Fifty Shades of Grey, you right. know, though because those were like they became novels because it led to some, you know, and it did have a happy ending. Um, and that's the best part, but it, it was juicy. It was, you know. Oh, that's, that's, that's in a good thriller too. There's usually a little spice, maybe a little sex, a little, uh, uh mayhem, uh, lots chaos, of, lots of chases, lots of chaos, lots of suspense, lots of cliffhangers. It wouldn't be a thriller if there aren't cliffhangers. You know, if you don't get to that end of that chapter and go, damn, what happens now? And that's the idea to get you to flip the page so you keep reading. You go, you know, I was going to I was gonna go to sleep at 11 o'clock. It's now 11.15. I just got to read one more chapter. And uh, I've been told that uh, Project Suicide is a page turner. And so uh, I'm hoping people will read it, like it. And if you do, anybody out there, if you do read it, please post a review on Amazon. It's the best thing you can do for an author to show your appreciation because people judge whether or not they want to read the book based on reviews yeah. and quality and Amazon judges where they place you based on numbers and quality. So. Wow. Did not know that. Yeah. So that's, uh, like I said, post a review and www.projectsuicide.com. And my website is www.thrillerjohnb.net. Well, awesome. I appreciate your time. And you know what? I hope this was, you know, informative and educational for those that have that idea of, hey, I want to write a book. How do I go about that? And, you know, what does it take? You know, let this be an inspirational interview to pursue your dream. Whatever it is that you're passionate about in writing, just go for it. Yeah, you know, that's what I say. At the very least, you you it's it's wish fulfillment. You do something you always wanted to do. I, I'm actually on chapter three in my book. And I just for some reason I'm like I'm taking a break. I'm like because I feel like they're I'm missing something. I'm not catching Well that's okay. It. You know, don't let that hang you up. You can come back to that. You will come back. You will be revising. So write. It's important to keep writing. Even if it ends up being crappy in your eye or your ear. Because you're going to come back and do the real hard work of revision. Well, it's based on experience, you know, in my personal life. And then the realization. So I'm at a certain part where I'm ending one aspect but then I'm like getting ready to begin another one. Like I'm trying to finish and then lead into the next chapter. That's where I'm stuck. Well, so it's like, I'm going back in my mind and then through the experiences and then, okay. Even, and it, even if you just start the next chapter and leave the last one unfinished, you're going to come back to it. So the important thing is to keep moving forward. There's always an excuse, unfortunately, to stop. And you hear many, many people. There's there's different types of writers. Uh, I'm in writers groups and stuff. There's the people who want to write a book, 
but actually don't write much. There's the people who want to write a book, and they start books. They get an idea, they write 5,000 words, 10,000 words, and they stop. They get another idea, write 5,000 words. Then there's the people who actually complete a novel. And uh, that's just determination more than anything. So. Mine's non-fictional, so it's like, you know, going through life and realizing a lot. It has, like, like it has to do with the spiritual awakening that I've experienced and things that I've learned and discovered and what changed the transformation and whatnot. So it, it's like piecing like those processes and then going into the next one well you keep writing even if you have to do it piece by piece and then fit them all together later you know it's the thing is like i said it's important set yourself the goal whether it's a word count in the morning or whenever you write you know 500 words a thousand words or whatever whether it's number of hours sitting there actually working on something most writers who are successful set themselves goals and they try to write daily uh, right over yeah, so. I did when I, when I first started writing the. <clears throat> that's the first three chapters. Then I had the introduction. I have a, a space for the forward, and then the dedication, and then I started. So I've got like thirteen, thirteen thousand words. Well, keep plugging away. It's, it's it's like I said, it's a bunch of little steps that that have to add up. You can't expect mm -hmm. it all to be done right away. And, you can't expect it all to be easy. Writing is certainly not easy. No, it's not. But I got some, you know, good insights from other authors and, you know, read some, like, self-help getting writing. And I did do good for 30 minutes, you know, five days a week, 30 minutes. All I did was write. That's a start. So, but then I went to a... Uh, yeah, now it's like, okay, we got to get back into this. <laughs> yeah, work through writer's block to write, even if it's not good. Say, uh, God, this stinks. Keep writing. It's the only way I know. Yeah, I got to get back into it. Well, but it was a pleasure because I learned something new today. <laughs> like, it takes a couple of years before, yeah. you know, during the revisions and then the publishing and creating the you know the cover like i already got my cover so because i'm a visual so i i right. gotta have that cover because then that gives me that reminder hey you got that book you know <laughs> you gotta finish i got the chapters and everything so it's just getting back into 30 minutes a day right i i wish you great success with it just plug away that's my advice and i'll let you know when hey i finished it i got a hard copy <laughs> i'd be glad to hear it well, thank you, John. Once again, I wish you the best of success, and I look forward to seeing it out in the theaters near myself. <laughs> From your mouth to God's ear. Okay. Thank Take you again. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, there you go. I learned something new today. And what about you? I hope this helped you and inspired you to, if you have this idea, you want to write a book. Hope this helped you. Until then, you never know who I'm going to get on this show. So you got to stay tuned to Wake Up With Casey.